Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. I am sitting here right next to what's soon going to be a fire that we are going to make an incredible dinner on. I am here with Chef Corso from Outdoor Eats. Chef Corso, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about, first and foremost, where are you from and kind of how did we come to sit here around this fire today? Totally. Uh, Well, I am a classically trained chef. Uh, I trained in Napa Valley in northern Italy, but now I'm head chef and founder of Outdoor Eats, which is a uh, resource for all you guys out there to help elevate your meals in the outdoors. So we provide recipes, meal plans, and cookbooks for your outdoor adventures. But uh, I am from the great Pacific Northwest. I lived in Seattle for, for 12 years and from a small town called Port Angeles, so at the base of the Olympic National Park. But uh, I'm a backpacker, camper, all that kind of stuff. And when I went out on my trips, I noticed that the food options were were not that great. So I started testing recipes that are all 10 ingredients or less, 30 minutes or less, no pre-prep, no dehydrating. I want you to get outside and enjoy and also have a great meal. Well, I know everybody's pulling out their phones right now to go find some of these recipes. So you mentioned it just before, but where can they find you across the various platforms before we get into this conversation? Yeah, check us out at OutdoorEats.com. We have a whole recipe bank there for you for uh, a single recipe or a full meal plan if you are going on a a specific trip or a handy pocket-sized cookbook you can take along with you on youtube chef corso c-o-r-s-o and at monty boca m-o-n-t-y on instagram awesome dude let's get into this Nice. Well, it is a beautiful day. Uh, great to be here with you, and uh, yeah, happy to chat. Yeah, dude. So, kind of the 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 impetus of this trip, right? Right, we're on this overnight backpacking trip. Is like I've been following you for probably a better part of a year now. Started commenting on some of your videos. You started kind of messaging back, and we just kind of started building this little friendship through social media. And you travel the country. We're going to kind of talk more about that as we go along, but you've really been kind of on this vagabond tour cruising the United States and you've come through Missouri a couple of times. Last time we had this plan to get together, got foiled by the rain, decided to kind of push it back, but we decided, you know, Hey, you're coming back through the state. We kind of really tried to get a, a trip on the books. And even though some of the circumstances got a little bit warmer, we were having doing it during the week versus a weekend. Like we figured it out and I'm really glad we did it. Yeah, we're here. I'm, I'm ha- again, happy to be here with you. And yeah, I appreciate the support. I'm glad the recipes are working for you um, on on your trips. Um, but yeah, we, we get to do it uh, live action. Yeah, it's it's been really fun because like some of the first recipes that I discovered of yours were kind of the power grain bowls, uh, the power chia bombs, and some of the other like really fresh food that can be adapted and used really quickly, right? And all of a sudden throw a quick lunch together or pre-soak a breakfast the night before so that you have something really readily available for the, either the trail or just, I use them at home. I, I eat the chia bombs all the time at home. Uh, I really just fell in love with the recipes that you make and the food's been absolutely incredible. Kind of talk about what got you into cooking in the first place. Let's just like jump right in there. Uh, it, did you grow up cooking? Is this something that you've just been doing since you were a tiny kid? What's the deal? Yeah, let's uh, rewind all the way back. Um, yeah, I, I've been into food my uh, my whole life. My my family was was big into food. You know, we didn't didn't cook anything super fancy, but we were always in the kitchen, uh, both sides of the family, uh, having people over. 
and I was just in the kitchen too. The, that's where the action was. So that's where I was. So I started to you know pick up little things. Um, I think I really started to gravitate toward one grandfather. Uh, he was a chef in the Navy, eventually had a barbecue business. And so I just really loved palling around with him. Uh, he also played baseball. I played baseball. So he was just like one of my one of my favorite favorite people to hang out uh, with when I was when I was young. Um, but my mom was a really good chef. My dad cooked as well. So it was just something that was strong in, in our life. And uh, I had sort of took it on uh, as a passion for me and now a profession. Outside of the barbecue in your family, were there kind of staple meals that you look back on that were kind of either maybe their style of cooking or the stuff that you can kind of think about with a lot of fond memories and go like, man, that was the stuff that really made me fall in love with food? Well, again, we didn't eat anything super fancy when I was young. It was uh, pork chops with mushroom soup, baked potatoes, pasta with red sauce, casseroles, uh, meatloaf, those kind of things. So, But definitely three squares. We always ate together. Um, and so that was really important for, for us. But, uh, you know, I think around probably around, you know, 1990, 1995 is sort of an interesting time for the food scene in, in North America. But, you know, the Food Network started to happen more. Martha Stewart was was plugging more things. So we got pestos and Kalamata olives. So I think those ingredients started to filter into my mom's kitchen. And, you know, I obviously watching shows on uh, Discovery Channel or, or the Food Network is I just started getting more excited and exper- experimenting more with food. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it was when I was <laughs> when I went off to college, my family we did not cook we were just like box dinners like mac and cheese really simple food uh a lot of eating out when i was a kid and well you know it wasn't like nice restaurants or anything it was just kind of the the classic americana stuff and um i got to college and i realized like hey it might be easier for me to invite a girl to come over and hang out with me if i can offer like maybe some sort of kind of semi-professional looking dinner right and so at that exact time, like late 90s, early 2000s, playing college football, I got super into watching all of the Food Network cooking shows. And I mean, really jumped in. I got Emerald Lagasse stainless steel pans for Christmas one year. Still have them to this day. They're actually really good pans. Uh, And I, I rode that wave kind of with you. I certainly didn't take it as far as you did, but learned a lot of like really basic you know, cooking skills, uh, to the point where I would go, I'm kind of ashamed of this today, but like I would go to the grocery store and buy $15 worth of produce, celery, onions, anything I could kind of model after what they were mainly using on the shows, chop it up the exact way that they told you to. And then because I wasn't a giant vegetable fan at the time, I would just throw it all away and then do it again two weeks later, just trying to learn Probably should have like made some stocks, probably should have, you know, turned those into some delicious succotashes, things like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but you're, you're also practicing your knife skills, so that's, that's an important thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I kind of went down that path as well. So you really took it from like, hey, this is something that I enjoy doing to actually pursuing it as a profession. What did that look like? Because I know you didn't jump right in right after high school. You did kind of go do the traditional, you know, four-year school kind of before. So what kind of pushed it over the edge where you decided like, you know, I've done the normal business school thing, but I still really want to go in that direction? Yeah. So uh, out of high school, um, I got into culinary school and also a, a, a 
four-year college, and uh, I decided to go to the hospitality business route. And uh, basically, at the time, I was hemming and hawing both. Both had some positives, but I really wanted the college experience, get the business degree, and you know, can always get some culinary school education after. And uh, I'm happy that 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 choice paid off because um, about two years after I finished university, uh, I went to culinary school in Napa Valley in northern Italy and got my full full meal deal training got a lot of really uh, good solid uh, info recipes knowledge about how to do just about everything um, so yeah I just I, I took it from early days you know working as a prep chef uh, in some random kitchens in my hometown to doing the full meal deal that's awesome man and when you were evaluating culinary schools what kind of stuff do you look at as you know someone that's not been to one before or maybe have you know, somebody in the family that can tell you what to do. How, how do you evaluate schools and how did you choose, you know, to go to Napa Valley? It's not the worst place to study. <laughs> it's definitely not the worst place <laughs> to study. I, I mean, there's a, a couple uh, solid brands or schools out there. There's, you know, Culinary Institute of America, there's Johnson and Wales, there's art institutes and regional uh, programs. So I think it's about what you want to get out of it. Uh, time, money you want to sp uh, spend, also kind of interviewing the instructors and seeing seeing what the curriculum is. But for me, it was uh, a pretty no-brainer to go to Culinary Institute of America. It's really well-known, really solid instructors, and I learned an, an absolute ton. And like we're saying, is I got to hang out in Napa Valley for over a year, and the dorms were in Sutter Home Vineyards. So my sliding door opened up to vineyards, and I that's pretty crazy. That's <laughs> not the worst place to go to school. That's right. not terrible. That's not terrible. You were kind of telling me earlier, and we don't need to go too terribly deep into culinary school, but you were kind of telling me that you've got, you know, around 20 or so people kind of in your class, and then it gets broken up into teams, and you're essentially creating a number of meals throughout kind of each day of class uh, and working as a team, and then you can kind of lean into your individual skills as the, the school goes along. Did you have a pretty good idea of where you wanted to go as a chef when you were done with school when you started or were you just kind of saying like hey I know I want to be a part of this industry and I'll figure that out as I go yeah that's a good question is I I didn't know um, I knew I I wanted to do something with food you know that's sort of why I did the hospitality business route too is I knew I liked this this segment but I didn't exactly know and for me I never really wanted my own restaurant um, I, I love cooking and I love sharing and I've you know spent my fair share of time on the line and in restaurants but it was not my desire to just finish culinary school you know get an apprenticeship and then you know go open up uh, uh, Chef Corso's, you know, place in Seattle or, or, or wherever right. is I, I knew I liked it and I, I knew I needed to get this, this piece and this certificate to go to the next step, but I didn't quite know exactly how it was going to. Yeah. And then, so once you kind of did get out and you started going out and doing the various jobs, I know you've kind of worked in different scenarios. You worked in test kitchens, you worked for restaurant groups. Like how did you kind of decide what was the next step along the road to kind of take you down the path towards where you are today? I know you didn't like set out to end where you are here, but I mean, how did you make some of those decisions in kind of making transitions from one position to the next? Yeah, well, after culinary school, I, I took a random flyer and I went and worked in Australia for a year. I literally, this is a great story, I literally went on there like monster.com, if you guys remember monster.com uh, or indeed what it yeah. is now. And I applied to a job in Sydney and the guy got back to me within like a week, did an interview and he's like, well, you better come down and try it. And no so, way. Yeah. So literally within a week of finishing culinary school, I packed up my life and moved to Australia and, 
overall, I was down there for about six months. It turned out it didn't quite work out from a management perspective. Yeah. But it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I, I tried. Yeah. And I, I would have done a few things differently in hindsight, of course. But I tried and came back home to the Northwest where I'm from and picked up some pieces. And um, at that point, I got a job in a, in a kitchen just to kind of uh, lay down some roots and kind of moved on. Uh, but to sort of your, your question about like how to decide on the path is... I, I still didn't quite know exactly where I wanted to go with it, but the, I did have an internship in college um, at a, a flavor house uh, out in New Jersey. And there's multiple of these companies that make powder and liquid flavors for food. So if you ever turn over a package and natural flavors or, you know, Burger King has a butter flavor in their bun to help it make, make, make it taste better, yeah. like all this whole other world. But there's a whole world of of uh, research chefs and food scientists that make the food that we eat. So I got a, a taste, uh, pun intended, for <laughs> for that life. But it was test kitchens, it was test trials, yeah. it was uh, creating different things, but then trying to figure out how to make them by the 10,000 or by the tanker load. And I was just really intrigued by that because I've already sort of, always sort of had a uh, analytical mind um, in some ways where like, I love food and the flavors, but then like, how do we get there? Um, and then how do we replicate it? How do we make it food safe? All that kind of stuff. So I uh, was lucky enough uh, at a relatively young age to get a position as a research chef in a test kitchen. And I worked there for six years and I tested ice cream, salad dressings. I taught myself how to make beer, uh, did a whole bread and ice cream course. Wild. It was just amazing. But it was, if you think of, you know, Naked Juice or, uh, you know, Jamba Juice, yeah. or any of these companies, there's a team that helps create these these foods that we eat. But they're often working on it for six months or a year before we see it on the shelf. Oh, yeah. So that's what I was doing for six years. And it was fantastic. The very first job that I had out of college, I worked for a recruiting company. And we would go out and help people find pharmaceutical sales reps and stuff like that. But our office was in downtown Indianapolis. Really great building. And the, the fifth and sixth floors was the national headquarters for Steak and Shake. And the seventh floor was our office, and then the eighth floor was their test kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so we were sandwiched, pun oh, intended, wow. right <laughs> in in the middle. And about two days a week, they would send some like note down to our receptionist to say like, "Hey, we've got some, you know, Dixie cup sized thing of Thousand Island dressing we want you to try." And if you went up there and like tried this little Thousand Island dressing, like filled out a little card, they would basically make you whatever steak and shake lunch you wanted completely free of charge and you could be like i'd like three triple steak burgers and a chocolate shake and a bean crock and unlit they were just like yeah absolutely here we go we got let's make them up and it was awesome yeah uh, but it, I mean, granted there's probably better kitchens that we could have been sure sandwiched between but yeah. it was pretty fantastic it, for sure and but that is really interesting because it is super fun you get free food obviously and kind of get to be part of the process but that is a really important part of the creative process and development process is getting data and getting feedback on these products because you know we're making them in a kitchen and we need to get real world feedback and uh, that's the only way to do it is to make it in the test kitchen and then give it to folks and yeah. check and adjust so do do and maybe you're too far removed to maybe have a, a strong answer on this but do do those kitchens now kind of look at what's being said or feedback from social channels. Like, are they using those as kind of mirrors to say, you know, 
are, are we actually making food that people really like short of, you know, it selling on the shelves? Uh, is, is that something that gets considered or is it basically just like, hey, we know what tastes good and what doesn't. We're going to put out what does. Yeah, I think every company is different. But I think with the uh, growth of, of social media, I think it's definitely part of the equation for a successful or not a successful product. Um, it's another way for people to quickly share feedback um, for better or worse. Yeah. So your career has really kind of gotten to this point where it's solely focused on cooking in the outdoors and, and you know, outdoor type, re- not outdoor recipes, really any kinds of recipes that can be adapted to the outdoors. Uh, where did your love for the outdoors and or kind of your introduction to them come from? And then we'll kind of come back to what you're doing right now, you know, in your culinary world. For sure. Well, I think one piece of the path that I think is very, very important uh, that I do want to share is that, so after the the research chef position, um, I worked as a head chef and culinary director for a restaurant group in Seattle, um, but then pivoted over to working for Starbucks, you may have heard of it, uh, in Seattle at their headquarters. And uh, I was on their culinary team training their international and national teams for their high-end brand. But I also had this idea for how I and we could share great recipes for outdoor cooking and really, really elevating the, the outdoor space and, and, and that outdoor experience. So I was working on a website for how to put this out. I was testing a few recipes like at, at night at my desk, like after hours uh, working at Starbucks. And I was just, you know, working my, my butt off for them, but then trying to fit this in. But then one day they, uh, they, they laid off 75% of my team. Yeah. And that was a that was a shock yeah um but they they gave me a severance package and put put me on my way but that was a big motivator to just jump in and uh try to do this outdoor eats you know monte boca kind of situation and i haven't looked back and that was three years ago yeah it's it's interesting how what can feel like a real kick in the pants can be the kick that you needed to get where you want to go. I had a very similar experience in my professional career. I was working for agencies, things were going great, you know, cruising right along. And essentially the last agency I I was working for really wanted to hire a strategist that they'd known for a really long time and to bring her on board meant reducing some costs in other places. And they essentially said, hey, we're gonna take you to a full commission type scenario. And I'm sure that sounded really cool in their strategy meetings behind you know closed doors. Uh, and it, it felt really tough when it happened. Uh, but it was legitimately like the week after it happened that I was like, you know what, man, I think I could do this on my own. I'm going to go try and sell some clients that same stuff that we've been doing just kind of at a different scale and pretty much immediately found some clients and that started launching me into some new directions that have been the best things that have happened ever happened to me in my career. So sometimes those things that feel like a kick in the pants can really be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was definitely down about it for a few weeks and def- and had to figure out what to sort of do next. But my barrier at the time was, was time. Yeah. I just didn't have enough time to finish it or put out a website or, you know, modify these things. And that gave me the time. It gave me the opportunity to do it. And um, I've, I've, I've loved the path that, that this has taken. 
Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier, and I think this is important for any people out there that, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or a website or whatever it may be, like you kind of mentioned off air that you are a naturally introverted person. Like, you know, being in front of a ton of people may not necessarily bring you all the energy in the world like it maybe does for someone like myself. Uh, how did you push through some of those barriers in knowing you wanted to get this content out? Because I know even for someone like me that likes to be on camera, likes to be in front of people, uh, it's really scary at first. And there seems like there's this mountain of skills that you have to learn, whether it's, you know, handling a camera, even if you're just using your phone or editing or then where do you publish it and how do you get people to go watch it how did you push yourself through some of those like uncomfortable stages to where it started to be a little bit more natural yeah it's uh the beginning of any one of, of those things is not fun because it is very uncomfortable depending on your personality but for me it definitely was uh uncomfortable i didn't want to didn't want to completely put myself out there but i think the 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 message I can share with other folks is just, it sounds very, very easy, but it's not as easy as this sounds, it's just to do it. And maybe you just do it for yourself a few times. Maybe you don't fully put it out there, but you you kind of go through the process, you, you do it, and you do your best to self-assess and see if there can be some room for improvement. But then with, you know, the entrepreneurship or, you know, trying anything new is like, eventually you have to just flop it out there. But with that, then you have to be ready for feedback. But what I've learned from from all of this is that you just need to take the feedback. You don't necessarily have to do anything with it because it could be it's, it's your business. It's your idea. And you have the, the, the best path forward for it. But you just need to take it. And sometimes that hurts. But sometimes you just it, it's the best course just to take it and then chew on it and then potentially use that for for um creating a better product. Yeah. We don't need to dwell on it, but have you had any feedback on any of your videos, like comments or anything on Instagram that you've been like easy now, or had, I mean, you seem like someone that would have like a pretty supportive audience. I mean, just the, the energy you bring and, and kind of the attitude and the positive positivity, everything that you do along with, obviously everybody loves to eat really good food. I can't imagine a lot of people just like shitting on you or anything, but yeah. have you had any that have been like I, easy? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's been mo mostly positive, which I really appreciate. So thank you everybody out there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that the main sort of negative feedback I get is from uh, folks that are very, very minimalist or very, very ultralight and think or don't want to take a few extra ingredients along. And for me, uh, frankly, you know, I'm, I'm a chef, so I'm always gonna take a little bit more food for a better experience, and I think that matters a whole lot. But for some folks, they're gonna take 12 granola bars and charge 50 miles in two days, and that's the kind of the trip trip that they wanna do. Yeah. So they voice their their concern about uh, my, my style that I'm, that I'm sharing. So, yeah. but mostly it's been positive and, um, but, but even with that is, is you take the, the positive and continue to try to make it better. Yeah. I've, I've, the funniest comment I've ever gotten on YouTube, it's actually on my, how to cook food. It's probably the exact opposite of what you are trying to encourage in people. Cause it's essentially just saying, here's a lot of ways to boil water and put them in a, you know, a dehydrated meal. This is four or five years ago that I made this video. And 
it's a pretty well done video. It's sitting at a table. It's like well lit, good audio, everything. I go through lots of different types of cooking setups. And this guy essentially just launched into me about how you either forage for what you're going to have or you're going to be stopping through town in a few days. And if you can't make it that long, then da 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 da. And my very first reaction was to just like tell this guy to F off, blah, 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 blah. And what I started trying to do is just try to see if I could turn every single person that comes after me into a giant fan. Mm. And so all I started doing was just being super nice to him and validating his comment and just going, man, it sounds like you've really got some experience that I could learn from. You've probably done some serious trips. What have you done? Talk to me about it. And over the course of like three or four back and forth, the guy was like kind of in my corner. I don't want to say we're best buddies or anything today, but it's been like a fun exercise to just rather than meet it with hostility, try and just kind of go like, hey, look, I totally get that you got a different style. Tell me about that. Maybe I can go explore that on my own and get some fun out of it. Yeah, for sure. And it's like there's so many different ways to enjoy the outdoors, whether that's activity or length of trip or how hard the trip is or meal plan for the trip. So it's like you do you for for, for what you like, but then I'm here to offer some suggestions and uh, a tasty path forward. Yeah. So you've been traveling kind of on this Vagabond tour, as you've talked about with me a couple of times. Uh, has your travel influenced some of kind of your culinary direction and some of the recipes that you've been trying? Like, are you finding stuff in restaurants and going like, oh, I could totally make a trail ready version for this. This would be awesome. Is that informing it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the I mean, I, I travel to eat. Yeah. Uh, besides seeing the, the the pretty pretty locations and, and and that kind of thing, but yeah, actually one comes to mind. I was uh, was able to hang out in Nashville for a, a couple months, and you know went out to dinner a couple times, and they just made this really sort of delicious sort of new age take on a Waldorf salad, um, not creamy, but with some country ham and some Granny Smith apples and some pecans, and one it was delicious. They did a great job, and I'm like, oh man we can modify this because, you know, you can pack an apple and some nuts anyway and just make a quick little vinaigrette. So we've got it up on the website right now. Nice. It's called Nashville Salad. <laughs> um, but that was really good. But, you know, spending some time in this sort of mid-south area has been really fun with uh, having, you know, pickled okra available, that country ham, you know, more grits uh, available, which is one of my favorite uh backpacker and, and camping ingredients uh, even some you know creole flavors down in in new orleans have been really tasty to explore so yeah the uh the, the path provides some some really tasty uh, inspiration when you're thinking about developing new recipes obviously like you've been doing this for you know a, a couple of years now and you've built like a pretty extensive catalog of recipes you've got more than one cookbook out that you you know people can buy I know one of them maybe just came off of of availability if memory serves me correctly from your social media um you know how do you kind of start going about building a recipe is it just something like you've got a little notebook somewhere that you've got kind of next on the list things to start working on and then obviously you've got a ton of experience working in test kitchens in development i mean is it you try it, you tweak it, you try it again, you tweak it, or are you making like multiple iterations done different ways? How, what's that process look like for you? Yeah, so we ha currently now have, I think like over 225 uh, recipes on the website. And 
uh, you know, Mon- uh, Monty Boca Outdoor Eats has been going along for, you know, two and a half, three years. Yeah. So that's uh, a pretty solid number for folks. But my, my desire with the recipe bank is that there's something for everybody. So if you're a, a Joe Hungry man, we've got stroganoff and jambalaya for you. If you're vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, we've got some reci- recipes for you too. But the I think the thing that is really important for our recipes and something that makes us different is that they're all trail tested by you guys out there. Yeah. So we have a whole trail testing crew uh, that signs up online. And so I kind of think of the idea, I get it about 80 to 90%, and then I send it to a recipe tester. They go out on their trip. They they do exactly what we're doing tonight awesome. here, here in the woods. And they make sure it works. They make sure it works on uh, different different camp stoves or different elevations. And they send back the feedback to me, and then we upload it. But for me, it's fun to, to share that creative process where you know, based on my previous experience, I'd be making a salad dressing recipe in a test kitchen by myself. Yeah. And that's fun in its own way. Or I could test these recipes on a mountain ridge by myself, but there's no sharing. Yeah. In, it's involved an echo chamber. In that. And that's the thing that I really want to hit for, for folks is that, you know, we go outside to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy our friends and enjoy the vistas, but putting food in that equation really really brings things together so it's not just about recipes it's not just about cookbooks but it's about sharing of that food experience and food has this great way of connecting us all and really refueling us in a, in a really really good way um so i think the for for the I think for the the recipe testing process and the recipe creation process, you know, it starts with me with just, you know, my head spinning about something that maybe we don't have or uh, some feedback for you guys or of things that that, uh, aren't in the recipe bank yet. So I create it, send it out to a a recipe tester, and then some of those recipes get into the cookbooks. And yeah, we have three editions out uh, currently. So Origin, Vista, and Wander. Um, when you do order the, they're all pocket size too. So they're, yeah, they're great. So the size of your phones, you can take them along with you, uh, 20 different recipes in each and, uh, Wander is still available, but Vista and origin, um, are just available in ebook currently, but I've got two more coming out next month. That's so, awesome. So stay tuned. That's awesome. How did you kind of come up with the idea of making them little bitty? I mean, it seems so obvious now that you've done it, but I never would have come up with that idea. Uh, or was it just something that just seemed natural to you? Well, it goes back to the just doing it, where once uh, the company was out there and I wanted to test more recipes and add to the recipe bank, you know, I went out on my trips either by myself or, or with some friends, and I had a little field notes book that I would either write some notes or I would make the recipe and then shrink it down to fit. So I would tape it in there. Gotcha. And that's when the light bulb went off. And I'm like, why, why hasn't anybody done this yet? And field notes are awesome brand and they have they have created do you know field notes yeah absolutely yeah. i think it's amazing I use them exclusively <laughs> they are they have created a really really cool brand out of paper notebooks yeah incredible yeah great job yeah <laughs> when it comes to differentiating and that's something that i think is really interesting right is like how do you uh, short of you know 
we talked a little bit off camera or, or off audio, whatever you want to call it, uh, about, you know, ways to differentiate yourself, right? And on, on YouTube or whether it be social media or through, you know, your recipes, um, you know, you really kind of found this great niche that there wasn't a lot of coverage in and it's allowed you to kind of really have some great growth in a pretty short period of time. I mean, is that something that you kind of saw from the beginning? I mean, obviously you were building this at, you know, Starbucks to start and then doing it on your own. Um, did you know kind of from the front, like, hey, there's not, nobody's doing this? Well, hey, there's there's definitely some other resources out there, but I thought there was a, definitely an opportunity. Yeah. And in the first few recipes and the first ideas for for the recipes and for the company is I noticed that there are a lot of really great resources out there for Dutch oven cooking, car camping, skillet camping, which is an excellent way to cook. And I keep doing that. It's fantastic. Um, but there was just less for this, uh, you know, minimal camp stove sort of situation. It was either, you know, boil and add package meals, all that kind of stuff. And they really didn't do a whole lot for me. And I don't think they do a whole lot for a lot of people, but they're just there, they're convenient and it's sort of what you do. Yeah. Um, but with, with the kind of the recipe testing background is I gave myself recipe rails, I call them really early on. And so all recipes are 10 ingredients or less, ready in 30 minutes or less, mindful of pack weight and volume, no pre-prep, no dehydrating. I don't own a dehydrator. Also I'm on the road, so I don't really want to pack a dehydrator <laughs> right. and then dehydrate in a quality, quality in or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. But for me, it just, it, it. It's not hard, but it takes time. And I would rather you guys get out there. So just go to the grocery store, pack it up in your pack and uh, get out and enjoy the outdoors rather than spending all day in your kitchen prepping. Um, so those were the kind of the really early, early uh, recipe rails that I gave it. So all the recipes followed that path. And then as we went along, um, a lot of folks reached out with different dietary restrictions. So all of them are organized by uh, dietary restriction, vegetarian, vegan, gluten-free, or uh, style of trip. So whether you're, you know, low water, like you're in Colorado or yeah. the desert, or low weight, or really high calorie, because you really need a whole lot, um, we've got that tag for you. Um, Smart move. Well, it, it's it, for me, I want it to be as helpful as possible. Yeah. You know, not every single recipe is for everybody, but with over 200, we've got a lot of options to choose from and can kind of uh, uh, sift through to find something that's that's good for you. Um, so when you've been working on recipes, have there been any that have just flat out, you haven't been able to figure it out, hit the cutting room floor, aren't being moved forward with and you're just like that one doesn't translate yeah um a lot of them have been very successful and i've found some really cool ingredients that have blown blown my mind which we can talk about in a little bit yeah like. i want to talk but, about sourcing ingredients couple, for sure a couple that were they, they just completely fell flat and the the challenge with the smaller camp stoves is that they don't bake and so I was trying to make, um, I think like pancake batter into sort of like dumplings for breakfast with like a compote or something like that. And it hydrated, it turned into these little like, uh, spatzel, you know, kind of small, small little dumpling things. And they were definitely food and they would give you sustenance, but they were not worth 
worth the time or anything like that. So anything with baking is is just a challenge with the camp stoves. I did do uh, a test and have a video out for steam baking. So you have like a, a chimney style stove and then put a smaller kind of Dixie cup uh, trail, trail cup in there with some uh, rocks in the bottom and uh, some water too. And you can steam like a muffin or birthday cake. Like a little uh, mini Bamarie or whatever those are called, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and you can do that and it probably takes 10 to 20 minutes. So it's not uh, for, for every trip and you, you do need a little bit of gas, but so there's kind of some workarounds for some of those things. But that was one that comes to mind that was just not, not that great. Gotcha, gotcha. When it comes to hardware, right? You've put out videos about kinds of stoves that you like and the different kind of cooking apparatus. How have you kind of come to the the primary setup that you use and what is it that you like kind of about the setup that you're using currently? Because you're, you're putting a lot of miles on these things, not necessarily under your feet, but like they're getting a lot of use. How do you kind of choose that equipment? Yeah. And well, I think for, um, for, for anybody out there that is either looking for a new new you know smaller capacity camp stove or not sure which one to bring on your trip what I share with folks is the first the first step is how many people are going where if we're just you know cooking for two people like we are tonight then you probably need you know 500 mil to to a, a, a liter pot um, but if you're going on a four-person trip probably need a you know two plus liter sort of situation so capacity is kind of the first question and then it just depends on the style of trip then it just sort of depends on dietary restrictions and the style of the trip that you're looking to do. The things that I look for are a, a pot and pan integration is really, really helpful. You know, there's a lot of stoves out there and pots that are sold separately and they definitely work together, but they get a little bit slick yeah and you have to be really really careful that you don't tip them over um that's happened to probably just about everybody and it's either very sad because you lose your dinner <laughs> or it's actually very dangerous yeah it can uh, be and i've got uh, got some friends who are, are guides uh in the outdoor space and they've had to uh not full evac but just pretty much cancel the trip because somebody spilled soup on their their choco feet and there goes the end of the trip so that's for me it just gives you some insurance to to not have that happen but for me it's like well i want to eat dinner yeah and i don't want to spill it so um so that's one thing i definitely look for and then i look for uh, simmer control which a lot of the burners out there uh, are just meant to be a, uh, a jet engine just boil super fast cook it up super hot but they're not very good for simmer control so i look for ones that are still strong in the boiling category but also can be turned down and simmer for at least a few minutes so you're not going to completely scorch the bottom of your pot and w when you are kind of thinking about sourcing ingredients i know you've kind of done some content around that you know not everybody has you know a whole foods or a trader joe's around Obviously, I know you do really like Trader Joe's and there's some some really good ingredients that are available there. What do you kind of think about when you're sourcing for ingredients and depending on the types of stores that you're going to, you know, kind of what kind of stuff's available out there for people that maybe they're not quite sure is there? Yeah, I think, you know, as I've been traveling around in the, the more populated city centers, there's definitely Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, you know, organic places or even farmer's markets that, be, that can be pretty nice. And those are uh, really great, great places to provision for kind of the basics, you know, nuts and fruits and, and those kind of things. But those places I look to for kind of fancier sauces or a uh, larger selection of, of things, uh, you know, maybe some coconut shavings or something or coconut oil that maybe isn't going to be at a, you know, H-E-B or Right. at a, a you know food lion that that type of thing um, but they're 
there are good ingredients at every grocery store. Um, one ingredient that is literally everywhere, or maybe not literally everywhere, but also at a lot of gas stations is Jiffy cornbread mix. And so I love grits or polenta yeah. or uh, cornmeal. It's all the same thing. It's just ground corn from a different country. Um, but it's really versatile, super tasty, cheap and filling. But Jiffy, once you hydrate it up and cook it in a pot, it, it froths up. It, it's, it's corn, cornmeal, wheat, and an active ingredient. And it's surprisingly delicious. But a box of Jiffy is sometimes about 49 cents. Yeah. And you can get like four, five, six portions out of it. It's absolutely delicious. So you can do bacon cheddar grits, ham and ham and cheddar grits, PB and J grits, or make it into fajita bowl because you can make a tamale bowl out of it. Yeah. But you can also do just all these great Italian flavors from sun-dried tomato to pesto to artichoke hearts, Parmesan, a little bit of chili flake in there. So that one is just really, really awesome. Um, But, you know, even going to like a Dollar General, they've got a pretty solid uh, selection of instant rices and pastas and some some cheeses and some meats that you can put together for a pretty quick, solid meal. Um, And so some other uh, grocery store finds that I found, and this happens... Uh, at kind of those mid mid range grocery stores, but the the sauce and salsa pouches, yeah, uh, both Mexican, but um, uh, also in kind of the Chinese category. But those work really well for backpacking or rig camping, uh, so you don't have glass uh, or you have to repackage anything. But those are really great flavor ingredients, or even some of the the, the gravy mixes from uh, biscuits and gravy to to uh, you know brown and turkey gravy sauces. But uh, you know we've got a lot of different recipes for kind of classic Americana kind of stuff. So we've got holiday bomb, turkey day stuffing bowl, yeah. and like the jambalaya and the stroganoffs and, you know, elevated ramen dishes. You know, just adding a few ingredients here and there can really, really elevate it. But then we've got kind of fancier ones like some of the grain bowls that that you love or uh, something that's a little bit healthier. It has a few other, you know, little ingredients in there. Um, and so the, so these are a couple special order ingredients that most grocery stores don't have but a couple that are really really awesome for the backpacker are coconut milk powder and i didn't know it existed until doing this but really really great really great for uh, thai dishes for dinner but also adding it to oatmeal in the morning for a tropical oatmeal experience or uh, soy sauce powder if you are a i know right if you are a (laughs) very charge an ultra lighter yeah and you don't even want to take a little bit of soy sauce or some soy sauce packets um there's soy sauce powder out there and it's it's just dehydrated you add water to it and it tastes like soy sauce it's pretty great so one of the things that i'm kind of interested in that we talked a little bit about earlier is that you're kind of broadening out uh the different environments and the different types of kind of scenarios that you're cooking in the outdoors right it's not just specifically these you know lighter tiny backpacking meals but you're kind of going out and doing some some bigger scale type events with you know lots of people and and things like that uh do your approach does your approach change significantly when you've got kind of bigger facilities more people things like that or are you kind of using the same basic principles same recipes in general just kind of expanding on them and growing the the portions yeah i mean i always start with kind of the the base model and our our style of recipes because it's just easier to add rather than subtract but if it is a, a more overlanding or car camping situation you can easily add more perishable products or uh, raw raw chicken raw sausage those type of things and you can even 
you know, grill them over uh, a, a, a grill or or over a uh, open fire to really add another layer of flavor, um, which is really great. But yeah, when it's for a larger group, um, it's just trying to find the right recipe that does scale up well. Um, so making a big batch of fried rice is really great for two people, but also really great for 24 or uh, grain bowls or panzanellas or even doing um, a really nice trailgate recipe. So uh, trailgating is, I want people to trailgate this summer, yeah. but it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm a sports fan and I like tailgating too for all the things yeah. but also we should be trailgating at trailheads yeah or at the campsite is make a, a batch of uh, verde queso or some kettle corn or uh, a rice krispie treat bowl for for the for your crew yeah have a snack have something but if you're going on a day hike like stash a recipe in your rig have the stove there have a couple of your choice beverages there waiting for you and make a snack at the trailhead yeah and share it with somebody you just met next to you. Yeah. It's been a big influence. You know, as I was telling you earlier, I've got, uh, three buddies that, you know, between the four of us kind of formed this little recreational fishing club that we all just kind of screw around with and try to invite other people to join. And one of our like big principles is food should be involved in every single fishing trip that we go on. Uh, we're all jumping on the like Pinterest train of taking tackle boxes and turning them into charcuterie boxes where we just fill all the little open spots with different ingredients and meats and cheeses and stuff. And it's been like this challenge where we're each trying to kind of borderline outdo each other from the week before. And some guy will go, Oh, I got this chili fig spread that you are just not gonna understand. And then we all freak out about it and enjoy it and it just adds so much to a day that may not produce a lot of fish right and uh, it's, hey bro i got this great chili fig spread <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure i'm sure that's what what it's like i got text messages <laughs> i got that's evidence great. uh and it's no it's it's really been a big part of like how we've all become friends and we all started saying you know to each other hey what could we cook on the river for under 50 bucks for the four of us including booze, including tax, like you could go to a Walmart, you can go wherever you want, give us the best meal you can possibly turn around for four guys for that total budget. And then we all started kind of going down these various trains of this dude's doing coconut chicken curry and I'm thinking about doing crepes with a couple of different ingredients. Mm -hmm. And Frank did some fajitas that were absolutely delicious and we kind of pair them with different, you know, uh, some Moscow mules or a margarita or something. And it just really makes our entire day something worth looking forward to where if the fishing doesn't work out, not that big a deal. And quite frankly, that came from my, it, it comes full circle. I was a sports marketing major in college and we had a guy that came in and basically talked about the best sports teams are the ones that figure out how to make it more than the game, right? And if you go to Kansas City or if you go to, you know, the Cubs games or some of these epic places to be around the game to be sharing in community with one and each other tons of food tons of fun games that just makes the team so much more impactful than if they win the world series or if they you know go on a record year you may not even remember that stuff it's going to be all the little things that you did outside the game with your family or with your friends that are really going to be the stuff that you remember for sure or food can be a really nice compliment to that too and you know if if coconut curry doesn't sound good to you that's completely okay it doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be that different but just a little bit of planning can really elevate the trip and elevate the experience but also for the fishermen out there um it is 
you know, packing on some side dishes. Like if you do have a good day, then you might want to have some, some different side dishes that can, that can complement your catch. Um, instead of, you know, just slapping it in a tortilla or giving it a quick fry. Yeah. As someone that grew up in the Pacific Northwest is our catching cooks, something that you, you've partaken in. Do you enjoy seafood specifically? And, and do you enjoy going out and harvesting fish and being a part of that process? Or is that something that's kind of, you know, not in your wheelhouse? Oh, um, well, I, I have been uh, fishing a few times. It's not my number one um, activity of choice, but uh, I have been on a few trips, both fly fishing and salmon fishing, and both have their kind of allures and things. And uh, the the one fishing trip uh, I went on was in eastern Washington, I think on the Yakima River, and my buddy that I went with, uh, he was catching release. And that was the first time I really heard about that, because I'm like, well, if I'm going to catch it, I want to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I really appreciated his... Uh, you know, conservation uh, mentality. So we, you know, we had steak fajitas or we had like a yeah. steak, steak ramen bowl or something last, that night and it was super good. Um, but the funny thing about me is that uh, seafood for me when I was growing up was not my favorite. Um, I've come a long way as far as enjoying different fishes, but one thing I don't like is is salmon. Really? I know. And both smoked and, and fresh. And like, I know that it's good and I know how to cook it multiple different ways, but I... I just can't get over it. Yeah. And that's, you know, everyone has their, their favorite and everyone has sort of their least favorite. And I feel bad for not, not liking it because yeah. it's a beautiful fish. Uh, absolutely gorgeous, beautiful flavor, fat content, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I will cook it for you, but I'm not going to enjoy this. So you, you enjoy. Kind I, of thing. I am the exact same way with caramelized onions. Interesting. The flavor uh, like if they're finely diced, all for it. White Castle Burger, mm. all about it. French onion soup, couldn't pay me to no eat go. it. No go. Couldn't pay me mm. to eat it. And there's just like a couple things yep. out there. I'm not, I'm not an olive fan either. Yeah, that's okay. That's a little bit more standard though. Yeah. 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 And it's, I felt bad because I was on a fishing trip recently. I got invited on this like 20 year, guys have been doing it forever. This cool trout park we have here in Missouri. And I got invited to go on it for the very first year and there was one guy who was doing cooking for like a pretty small group of the guys. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing. And this dude could cook. I mean, really a great, great cook. And he made breakfast one morning and it was just uh, kind of an, uh, an egg, uh, let's call it a frittata, but it was just loaded with olives. Mm. And I wasn't going to be that guy. So I just picked around him. But there was like this little pile of olives sitting on my plate afterwards. And he kind of looked at me and I was like, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what to tell you. I just don't eat them. Uh, and the entire thing tasted like olives. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, you do what you can and you, you for sure. take well, it down. It, yeah. And I think it's like everyone has, again, their, their, you know, couple favorites that they really love and yeah. then things that they really don't. And that's completely okay. Cause there's a lot of really great food out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to hear what people really, really, uh, groove on and then what they are like, no go on. But, gotcha. uh, I've got a, I've got a food question for you though. All right. I'd love to. Okay. So this is a, this is a great question to ask, uh, you know, sitting around the fire or sitting on the boat or whatever. So it's a ranking question. Ooh. Okay. So we've got four things that I'm going to throw at you. Okay. Okay. And it's your task to rank them just based on preference. Fair. Um, you can hate one of them, but it's mainly just. Of the four options, how do you rank them? Sure. Um, and the rules for it are that they are the best version of each thing. Got it. Because it's not fair to rank, be like, oh, well, I love uh, French fries when they're good. Like, of right. Course, of course you do. Um, 
where it's again they're they're the best best version the for pinnacle you. of those yep. four things so the four things are cookie cake pie and brownie oh cakes definitely last okay cakes not a i we did cupcakes for our wedding and i could have been just fine without even having them okay um brownies cookie cake pie brownie brownies number one pies number two cookies number three cakes number four got it so for sure for that number one brownie what is that brownie Great question. Uh, there's definitely peanut butter involved. Oh, okay. Uh, my dad and I are just enormous, crunchy peanut butter fans. Okay. So definitely like some sort of a crunchy peanut butter. Um, definitely no car- caramel, caramel, or any of that kind of stuff, but like a fudge. Like I don't like a real cakey brownie, as one would indicate from a fourth cake ranking. Right. Um, but like a good fudgy brownie with some peanut butter crunchy peanut butter to add that textural component like i was talking about sure, earlier sure. so so you like them slightly underdone yeah for right. sure and do you like the crispiness on the outside too oh yeah okay yeah like a corner piece underdone with crunchy peanut with butter some crunchy peanut butter wow. maybe either in it or on it and my wife and i get into like we we disagree about very few things in this world how a brownie should be cooked is high on the list and we've gotten in, I don't want to say drag outs, but like we don't get in many arguments. We've gotten in some legit arguments about how a brownie should be cooked and what size pan a standard box of brownies should be cooked in. Mm-hmm. I'm a big like nine by nine thicker, gives you a more chance of an underdone brownie. She wants like a 13 by nine spread it out, thin cake type brownie. I mean, it sounds like you need to go to Costco, get a big pack and then just make two batches of brownies. two batches of brownies the problem is both of us will eat an entire box right. of brownies that, in one that, setting if that, you give that us the is chance the challenge <laughs> yeah it's good if we can at least split the box down the <laughs> middle and we're not maybe we just need like little pans maybe she needs to make half a box of brownies in like a nine by nine and i need to make them in like some little midget pan mm-hmm. or like it's a just, loaf pan or something yeah exactly or a little ramekin or something yeah. like that that's a great one. How about you? Where do you rank those for? Yeah, so I go uh, pie, brownie, cookie, cake. So, yeah, I haven't had a whole lot of great great cakes in my life. But then that number one pie is uh, one of my grandma's. Uh, grandma pie is always better than everybody else's pie. Of course. Pie. But uh, uh, my family grew up in the, the northwest uh, at, at the base of Mount Rainier, and my grandfather would go out and uh, uh, pick wild blackberries. Yeah. And in the Northwest, there's wild blackberries that are the size of uh, a little bit bigger than a pea, like a garbanzo bean or yeah. something like that, yeah, as opposed to kind of the big fatter ones that are kind of along a lot of uh, roadsides and things. Sure. And they literally taste like blackberry jam. They're incredible. And only around for like a couple weeks a year, but he would go pick them in a, a milk jug by the gallon, bring them back to grandma, and she would make pie with that. So that is my number one pie. That's a good answer. That's a real good answer that there's a lot of layers there that make that. I mean, there's the time component. There's the fact that one of your family members went out and gathered them. Can't just go buy them easily. I mean, that's, there's a lot there. Yeah. That's, just like, there's just a lot like packed a good, in there. It's just like a good pie dough. A lot of layers. So, <laughs> uh, here's a question for you. Are you a mustard potato salad fan? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good for that. And is there a mustard potato salad that for you, 
I mean, for you, I would imagine a lot of it is like what you make, right? Because you kind of can t tweak it with your skills. Is there like a purchased mustard potato salad? And I'll give you some context for this. I grew up, there's a grocery store in St. Louis called Schnucks Grocery Store. It's a family run company, but they've got like 120 stores. They've been around for a long time. It's a big business, but it's still family owned. Their mustard potato salad to me is the bar that all others are compared against. And I don't know that it's necessarily the best one ever. It's just what I grew up eating. Mm, for sure. So that's what to me mustard potato salad is supposed to taste like. Is there one out there that like sets the bar for you or is it one that you would make yourself? Yeah, the, the uh, store-bought potato salad is pretty tough for me because I find the potatoes to be very overcooked and flavor to be low, generally, gotcha. generally speaking. Um, mustard, I'm fine with. Usually if I'm making it for myself, it's like a combination of mustards. So I don't like to go heavy on the Frenches, but maybe like Frenches and Dijon, or I like stone ground mustard a whole lot. Sure. Um, with maybe some you know creamy components. So it's kind of a mixed bag of all that. But um, if I'm making potato salad, I'm making it for myself. Um, and it's chunky, usually red skin potatoes, uh, thrown in some uh, parsley, green onions, and like creamy dressing gotcha. um, in there. I think the important thing for potato salad is you uh, add the dressing when the potatoes are hot so that the potatoes can soak up all of that yummy flavor and then let it chill and relax. But yeah, I'm fortunately the, the store-bought stuff, I, I, I tend just to push past it and try something else. But if there's a great barbecue spot that makes it uh, uh, there in, in-house, then that could be pretty darn tasty. When you are going from city to city, right, You've we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, there's a difference between being somewhere for three days and being somewhere for 10 days and then being there for, you know, maybe even longer than that. When, you know, you or maybe your other friends that are chefs or in the culinary experience, when you guys are traveling around and going from city to city, how do you pick restaurants uh, or places to eat? How do you find the good stuff that maybe the rest of us don't know about? Uh, or are you basically just getting on Yelp like the rest of us and like looking for good reviews? Yeah, you know, I'll, if I have a local contact or, or friend, I'll definitely query them because that's always always helpful. Um, but Yelp is is a good one. I also go on Eater, uh, E-A-T-E-R, for the larger cities around the country. They have a, usually a very good, also up-to-date list um, on, on restaurants. I know through COVID, a lot of restaurants have, have gone away. So it's nice that they're, they're updated and current. Um, but what I look for is I, I look at the pictures and I'm looking for, are things presented well? Did they actually grill the steak nicely? Uh, ingredients, those type of things where if the food is sloppy and, you know, doesn't look like it was really cooked very well, then I would, you know, search for something Typically else. shy away from those. Are there holy grail food uh resources for you as far as like stores that you've gone to where you walk in the door and you just go oh my god what is this place and just in an absolute heaven of ingredients are those out there or is it more kind of specialty stores for individual stuff yeah i mean the i think the larger um, uh, Whole Foods markets have a lot of really good ingredients, but I know those aren't everywhere. I actually just had a very good experience at HEB uh, down in Texas, especially the larger stores. There was a crazy selection of almost everything. Uh, so that was really, really nice. Um, I think there's also some sort of mid-range, mid-range plus grocery stores, kind of like Sprouts or um, Gelson's in the LA area or 
I don't help help me out for the general region here if you're from- uh in St. Louis we've got fresh times we've got luckies we've got uh you know St. Louis is a really weird market because these two big family stores have kind of kept most people else out hmm. uh Kroger the Hy-Vee's none of those have ever really made a a strong foothold in in St. Louis um and it's just because these two companies uh Schnucks and Deerberg's just kind of got in at one point and went ham, um, you know, pun intended. Um, and so we don't get as many maybe kind of variety or, or diversity of stores as you would maybe in some other cities. Um, but I mean, those two stores are pretty fantastic. I mean, they do a really, really nice job. It was one of the best pieces of advice when Sarah and I started traveling, looking for a potential new place to live, you know, I've, I've said, like, I can fall in love with just about any city for three to five, maybe even 10 days. How do you really get the real vibe of a place? You know, do you go to the diviest dive bar you can find? And one of my friends, and I can't remember who it was for the life of me, but one of my friends was like, go to the grocery store. You'll see a good cross-section of the people that live in the town because everybody goes to the grocery store. So you'll kind of get an idea of what people are like. And you can also look at the ingredients that are available. And that'll kind of give you an idea for what the town's maybe socioeconomic kind of world is playing in because if you can't find radicchio you know uh you might be in a place that doesn't offer as much variety of ingredients things like that right and like maybe you know we all don't need radicchio every time we're we're we're, we're, we're prepping for our meal True. But, but you you do find some you know really interesting things in the center of the store too um and you know besides just uh grocery stores it's also you know celebrating all of these great craftsmen out there um who are making great beer or, yeah. or cheese or bread and they don't travel very far outside of the region and it's just really fun to find those things and support them because they're they're working their butt off to make that great product and you know we all need to support them and buy it yeah there's a great uh knife maker uh, and and forgive me if i butcher his channel i'm pretty sure it's nhb knives uh, i'll put it in the description um but nate and i have become buddies through social media and he pretty much makes like these unbelievably beautiful damascus kitchen knives and he hand forges them at his studio in st louis this little you know suburb of st louis and he does a really cool job posting a lot of his content but it's these crazy amazing long carving knives or these beautiful chef's knives with absolutely stunning handles and the knife work is incredible and it's like the whole ecosystem that operates around that like you said there's craftsmen that make cutting boards and make incredible dining room tables and all the kind of stuff that goes into where we eat um, I'm guessing you're not a big kind of TV dinner, sit in front of the tube, stare blankly ahead while you eat. Uh, I'm guessing kind of the, the table is a big part of it for you. Yeah, I don't know when the last time I had an official TV dinner. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy uh, sitting at a table. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy every time, but it, it is an uh, enjoyable uh, experience for me or just you know having a great bowl at the tailgate and uh, or sitting on a rock or sitting on a stump staring at a river 
it's it's still pretty nice. Yeah. But I want to go back real quick. This is turning into the the food and kitchen pun show <laughs> because because you said you're we're gonna butcher the knife. Ah, uh, nice. Womp womp. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we can probably throw in some more. But I didn't catch that one, and I did it myself. That was pretty good <laughs> that you caught that. I appreciate that. Uh, let's kind of talk. You know, we'll we'll maybe go a couple more directions, but we'll kind of get uh, close to winding this thing up. Uh, where is the future of your channel headed? What do you kind of eventually want this thing to become, and what's your goal and and where do you need to kind of take steps to get there for sure well the uh, mission from the beginning for for outdoor eats was to uh, be helpful and a resource for the outdoor industry you know again whatever outdoor activity you're into i want you to be able to eat well and find a recipe that can fit uh, your dietary restrictions or your your style of trip so i want to continually grow the uh, recipe bank and continually uh, support that and and you know throughout new editions of cookbooks and things you know over uh since we've been opening up past COVID, you know, more in-person events have been popping up, which has been really great. So I do, uh, you know, virtual and in-person workshops at these things. So, but it's really fun to connect with different uh, communities around the country from just was in uh, actually an overlanding event in uh, Springfield, but also, you know, backpacker fairs up in the Northwest and all that kind of stuff. So I'll continue to do those and, and hit those up. And um, we really are just in the beginning of opening up up for those sort of events so i think it's exciting that we're uh you know safe enough that we can can do that and congregate again together um but i think it's just to you know continue to connect with folks uh as i'm traveling around uh at these expos and at, at these workshops to really showcase that you can eat eat well anywhere and one of my passions and things that i find super fun is like i love teaching people how to cook whether that's inside making a pesto or a ranch dressing or whether that's just uh you know a pot of pad thai that cooks up in 10 minutes yeah i think one of the things that i've really enjoyed about my foray into kind of the media world is that I've tried to remain adaptable and think more about what am I trying to show people and what am I trying to teach them and or get them encouraged to do rather than what medium am I going to use to reach them, right? I want to kind of develop skills in each of those, but ultimately I just want to be a good storyteller and show people what they could try or some things that they might want to consider. Here's some ways to make it easier on yourself. I've kind of made a lot of the mistakes for you, if if you will. Uh, and, you know, if that evolves into something that's bigger or something that's different, I'm totally okay with that. You know, YouTube is awesome right now. It may evolve into something else someday. And I've just got to be kind of willing to follow that path and try to continue to, you know, tell good stories, whatever medium that may be, you know, and, and if it grows into something huge, awesome. If it doesn't, I'm not too worried. I just want to kind of keep getting better at telling stories. It kind of sounds like you've got the same same mentality. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to be open to the path and have a, you know, general idea of, of what you'd like, but then be open to, to what happens. You know, I've got a couple bigger projects that are coming down the pike that will you know, hopefully help uh, grow grow the community. But I never would have uh, uh, thought that I'd be sitting here with you in the woods in the middle of Missouri, uh, <laughs> you know, three, four years ago. And, yeah. and here we are. Yeah, it's pretty so wild. It, it, it's pretty wild, but it's also really fun because uh, the path provides some, some really fun experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So let's finish with these two things. A, uh, are there any kind of bucket list places or trips that are lingering out there that are, are 
places that you'd really love to go and not only adventure, but also, you know, cook and share meals and, and, you know, develop recipes in. And then let's kind of finish with, you know, maybe some of your culinary influences, some of the people that you look to for either inspiration or, uh, whether it be technique or just the people that, you know, you go like, man, that person is really making some amazing food. And I want to kind of do some stuff like that. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of those two questions, right? For sure. Um, so for the first one, um, I've uh, been lucky enough to have some really fun outdoor experiences and uh, go after some really fun trips where, you know, a few of those are like the enchantments up in uh, Washington, which is a permitted area. Really, really gorgeous, gorgeous spot of the world. Uh, but a few years ago, my friend and I went down to the Patagonia. So big, big trip. Wow. And uh, we did a guided guided service there, but we're really able to experience the the national park down there. And that was absolutely phenomenal. So that was like number one a few years ago. Yeah. So new number one is Dolomites in Italy as far as international trip. Uh, Cause that just looks like a gorgeous area. Also great food and things. But uh, nationally, I would really like to go to the Boundary Waters uh, up in Minnesota. And I've, uh, through this this trip, been able to go to Zion and Redwoods and Big Bend National Park recently. So kind of checked off some really cool, uh, really cool national parks that I've always wanted to go to. But that place is uh, very intriguing for me for a, a little bit more calmer, uh, different style of outdoor experience that yeah. I'm, I'm used to. Because I'm used to, you know, a lot of alpine lakes and, you know. 10 to 20,000 foot mountains kind of thing. So I think it'd be cool to experience something Whoa, in contrast you. to that. I know, tough, tough time. Well, it's really, <laughs> uh, it's really tough when you grow up at the base of the Olympic National Park. So. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta be. Uh, as far as your cooking mm -hmm. influences, uh, what chefs out there, or, or not even chefs, people that are cooking food and making food, really inspire you and, and you know, kind of influence you to cook? Yeah, I think uh, one chef that I still really gravitate towards and I really respect is Rick Bayless. Uh, he's out of Chicago and he is an American but has specialized in regional Mexican cooking. And I Mexican cuisine is one of the one of the cuisines that I really enjoy. But just his demeanor, his style of recipes, his restaurants, uh, I just really respect. I met him at culinary school one year. It was, it was a nice, uh, nice special appearance by him. But uh, he just, I feel like he's doing things right. He's treating his people right. He's treating the ingredients right. And also elevating uh, Hispanic and Mexican cuisine uh, into a place that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't uh, don't experience. So I really enjoy him. Uh, in Seattle, there's been two great chefs through my lifetime, um, Tom Douglas and Ethan Stoll, that um, both of them do really, really great work for celebrating the Northwest cuisine and ingredients. And both of them have opened multiple restaurants uh, with with consistent success. So I, uh, again, really appreciate what they're doing uh, for the food scene, but then also for their teams and, you know, really exploring different different styles of cuisine up there. That's awesome. Well, as a takeaway, if there are people out there that have basically just been living in the mountain house, dehydrated, pour some water in a bag type meals, what are maybe a couple of meals that you think would be a good kind of kickstart into, you know, your style of cooking and bringing more, you know, real food into the backcountry and doing some actual cooking versus just, you know, rehydrating a, a bagged meal? Yeah. So a few recipes that I can suggest for, for kind of that case, or if you're just really unsure about cooking, maybe you're not a great chef in the kitchen. So you're really concerned about cooking outside is make some soup. 
uh, soup is very forgiving. It's also very homey, uh, very tasty, but it has a, a, it's wet. So it has a less tendency to burn and scorch, which is yeah. super, super helpful. But uh, make an el- a batch of elevated ramen. Uh, you can use the package stuff or find some better noodles at an Asian grocery store. You know, throw in some ginger and soy sauce, and maybe some snap peas and mushrooms, and you've got something really, really tasty. But you can even do a quick minestrone soup. You could do a broccoli cheddar soup that uh, I tested out this winter when I was doing some uh, snowshoe uh uh, snowshoeing up uh, uh, back this winter, but try a soup. Um, you're already boiling water. Might as well throw some flavor in it and uh, you know a few different veggies in there. And actually, one of the first ever recipes that I tested for this was a, a kale and white bean or a kale and potato soup. You know, some of you out there might be you know turning your nose up to kale, but it is a great ingredient to pack along. It's really really sturdy. Um, or you could just do uh, you know carrots, potatoes, white beans, uh, kidney beans, those type of things. Add some seasonings that you like and you're good to go. We went on a backpacking trip to Colorado that we've talked a little bit about uh, off air, and my wife was struggling with altitude sickness, and we were taking a really long hike in some bad weather, and we got to a campground, and she borderline, I don't want to say she collapsed, but she basically just laid down on the ground and said, I'm going to sleep here until you get these you know hammocks set up and the very first thing i did after i got our shelters built was make her a pot of elevated ramen and it had some sriracha in it it had some snap peas some corn some other peas some vegetables and i'm not kidding of all the meals that we ate on the entire trip and we brought some pretty good food that soup brought her back to life in a way she still talks about it to this day that ramen you made me in Colorado or in in, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park it sticks with her so couldn't agree with you more those kinds of meals are just absolutely fantastic for sure well and that warm broth too uh, really has a way of of satiating and uh, uh, really helping with uh, you know a hangry hangry situation or you just deplete it because there's also you're maybe low in salts or nutrients and you know food has a way to really really help us bounce back awesome is there anything else you wanted to cover um i think we covered quite a bit cool man (laughs) dude super glad to have you on the show this was great it's super fun to get to know you kind of on this level and i'm looking forward to dinner man this is gonna be really good yeah so speaking of that so if uh uh, you're interested in what we're making for dinner tonight. Yeah. Uh, we are making a fire roasted jambalaya because we're able to have a campfire here uh, at the at the campsite. But uh, I'm doing a video on my YouTube channel, Chef Corso. So check that out and to see in, in making that. But um, also check out OutdoorEats.com, uh, Chef Corso for YouTube and uh, at Monty Boca, M-O-N-T-Y for Instagram. You're the best, dude. Glad you came on. This was super fun. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks.